All right, Alex, I appreciate you joining this podcast again, or not again for the first time, but I appreciate you joining <laughs> overall and us talking and connecting again. Um, I'll start this way. All the listeners know there's a heavy dose of solo content over the course of the 700 episodes. Also a nice, healthy amount of um, of interviews. But as of late, I've uh, made it a, a focus and a point to bring more guests on again and get some perspective and narrative and, and insight. Um, we just wrapped up like a six-part, seven-part series of kind of doing like a 2023 wrap-up um and getting like some predictions some 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 thoughts and unpacking of 2022 so maybe we can actually do some of that with you today as well and um i'm appreciative so thank you and let's start this way give us all a bit of like a 90 second of your background who you are what your work you're doing the company that you're running and uh and then we'll dive in okay um wow where do I, 90 seconds, here we go. <laughs> 90 seconds. Um, 90 seconds. So uh, my name is Alex Bowden. I'm the CEO of People First, Online Retention Consulting. Um, I actually, strangely enough, started my career as a professional dancer. Uh, so I was classically trained in dance, went to school for dance, realized it, you know, could not at all sustain me uh, in any viable way. So I went through my own, what I call quarter life a career crisis at around 25 and made a shift into HR. Um, I know I had a, a passion for talent and the process of hiring and retaining talent and how we engage them internally um, with the birth of my son, started feeling that pool that I think a lot of uh, parents experience of wanting to really enjoy those young years and spend more time. So I started my own business around those um, core focus areas. So we do a lot of recruitment, um, retention strategy, really people strategy and culture, all of it's through the lens of culture. Um, and that's where I linked up with my current business partners um, who also have a passion for culture and probably why I'm talking to you today. So um, yeah, I just, I love what I do. I love my family. And um, I also have a salsa business on the side. My husband and I run a salsa dance company. Um, so that's a little random fun fact and kind of rounds me out, I guess, in terms of who I am. Well, that's pretty interesting. Do you or your husband have any, um, what's the political term to use? I'm trying to, I'm trying to, <laughs> the, the right way to uh, point out the ethnicity. Is there any Spanish in either one of your backgrounds? Yes, my husband is from Ecuador. So he came here when he was 17 um, and he's the one that taught me how to salsa dance. So uh, it's been a fun journey for us to, to embark on together. We really enjoy it. Are you, are you better than him now? No, he's insane. He's so good. Yeah. <laughs> I still learn a lot from him. So no, that's good. He has good footwork, huh? Oh my God. Yeah. He's incredible. That's good. That's good. My, my, my wife, um, She's all mixed up. She's she, she she's Dominican, Russian, uh, but I don't. Know. She's mixed up with a bunch of things, and that's she, amazing. Yeah, she has that that background as well. So I, you know, the the footwork there is is pretty insane. I bet. I bet. It's awesome. Yeah, hundred percent. Um. Well, no, I appreciate again. I appreciate you coming on. That's a very interesting background and how you got here. Let, let me let me let me start this way. From your perspective, 
how long actually this through the math how long have you been in hr like how long has it been since you made that transition oh i want to say eight or nine years oh yeah that's right so when we did yeah it's the same timeline that's right uh because I, I when we first met I, I when i when i asked you off air i remember that context and then because it's been about the same timeline for me so so here's a question then that you may resonate with do you ever feel like and I'm trying to remember what the terminology for this is, but essentially, do you ever feel like you don't deserve to be here? Uh, there's people that may like, do you ever like ask yourself, like, like, why are they using, why are they using my services, my products, my initiatives? Yes. Why are they listening? Uh, what's the word for that? It's like a, it's like a term. Imposter syndrome. Yeah, imposter syndrome. Do you ever feel yeah. that? Oh, a hundred percent. Um, Absolutely. I mean, I, I had no place starting my own consulting company. If you look at it objectively, right? Like I'm coming from five years of HR and it's like, now I'm going to consult. Um, but I just, I felt this draw to do it and I was passionate about it. And I felt like I uh, had a lot of knowledge um, and, and curiosity and obviously the drive to, to make it happen. Um, but I constantly felt like, you know, why would people listen to me? Um, I'm 34 years old at the time. I think I was, you know, 29. Um, like, why listen to me? I, I'm very junior comparatively to people in my field. Um, and it was a constant battle of, you know, feeling like I belonged. Um, in addition to also trying to build a business while being a mom and raising my son and taking client calls in in the bathroom to avoid you know the sound of a crying baby and them thinking like oh well she's also a mom and she can't do her job and can't be devoted to what she needs to be so there was there was a lot of imposter syndrome happening on on all fronts um i think it's reduced a little bit since i brought on one of my partners uh, melanie boer because she brings 20 years of experience in the business and that that kind of calmed that a little bit because it allowed me to present us as kind of a, a more tenured united front, um, but it definitely still persists. It's getting a little bit quieter as we go, and I, I kind of see, you know, my skill in action. And I see like, oh, I really can do this. I really am making an impact. Um, I really do know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I think it's also plagued with a bit of healthy humility too, of recognizing there's much that I have to learn and that, that drives my hunger to continue learning. So it's not all bad. Well, look, I, I definitely resonate. You know, I'm, uh, I'm 33 myself. So, you know, one year behind you and, and, you know, you and I are both rel you know, relatively very young in comparison to, I think, a lot of the other business owners or C-suite executives in the HR space and things of that nature. Um, but but here's something I'll say to you, and, and I've always said to myself, and there's two different things around this. The first is anyone that wants to start a successful business in the services and or product, I think, and, and I believe what I've learned about your business model is you it's not just yourself. You also have consultants. You also have a team. Yeah. Um, and, and I think what a lot of people for, tend to forget is that you don't have to be uh, the the best subject matter expert in the world and then transition into being a business owner of that subject, right? You can be someone that, like you said, four, five, six years in the space, 
you have enough of an understanding of the white space and the areas and, and the ways in which you think you could do things a little bit differently and better, and then go from being that practitioner to being the leader and finding, like you were saying, folks that do have 15, 20, 30 years of experience or very, very direct subject matter expertise and place them in place, place them in, in the right positions to, to have success. And you can kind of jump on the backs of their expertise and skills and stay in your lane, which is being a leader, being thoughtful, um, being strategic and, um, and running the business. So I don't always believe, I, I always hate when people say, you have to be in the industry for 20 years before you can run a business. I just don't think mm -hmm. that's, that's accurate. You know what I mean? No, a thousand percent agree. Um, and, and I definitely lean on my team and value my team immensely. Um, I'm, I'm a huge proponent of find people that are smarter than you and better than you in many areas and round you out. Um, and uh, you can't possibly be great at everything. So, so I've definitely seen that kind of natural rise of me kind of taking a step back out of the day-to-day -day and really focusing on building our own culture internally and you know, helping my team problem solve complex challenges with our clients and, and be more strategic and growing our business. Um, and I love that space. I'm excited about that space. I love the work we do too. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can't, you can't be an expert in everything. So definitely agree. We have to, you know, share that and bring people on that we can learn from and kind of partner with on things. And I'll raise my hand to say what, which, what has been very tough but what's been incredibly exciting is that a lot of the people in this space that have been those tried and true HR executives or leadership executives that have now turned into consultancies or firms, or even the folks that are still internal, what I've noticed is there's a lot of the same best practices, the same themes, the same effort, the same perspectives being swirled around, right? Yes. And I think, I think for you and I, being, I don't want to use age, I don't want to do ageism, but being potentially on the younger side, um, not being in the space for too long, we're able to look at things from a very fresh lens and perspective. And on top of it, we both came from different backgrounds. You know, you came from a completely different space in an industry and a professional focus. You know, I, 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 I started out as a, as a, as a founder of a, of, a, of a company with Under Armour and doing football things and then inevitably made a mistake and it was in the people sector and taught myself something. So, so we both come from, from, a, from a completely different world and it yeah. gives us a fresh pair of eyes on the same issues, which allows us to build out innovative solutions and products and services and attack it in a different way, right? Absolutely. I mean, groupthink is a thing. And I think it's, it is, I don't want to typecast, but it's definitely harder to break free of and look at things through a fresh perspective when you've been in it and alongside of it for many, many years doing it a certain way. So while that tenure is incredibly helpful um, and having that knowledge source to pull on is helpful in many aspects, I, I think there's also a value of diversifying your team and bringing on fresh perspectives. I mean, it's the same as bringing someone in to look at something from a completely different angle because they're not, they're not bound by the confines of like, this is how we do things. So they're more likely to, to question, well, why? Why do we do it that way? Why can't we try it this way? And sometimes there's a good reason as to not. And sometimes it's like, oh, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> you know? So 
Uh, there's definitely benefits to both. And I think that just brings forth, I know we both have a passion for um, diversity as well and, and in that space. And that's the power of, of diversity, right? Everybody bringing something different to the table. A hundred percent. A question that I had that I just came up with on the spot here, my ADD is kicking in. Um, <laughs> have you, have you placed, because I know you do some recruiting and some placement, have you placed a head of D head of DEI anywhere? I have not. I have not. And and sadly, I outside of really large companies, I don't see that very often. That was my um, thought. It was gonna be yeah. yeah. Keep going though. What are your thoughts? Yeah, on? No, I mean, and pretty much that. I don't I think it's it's unfortunate, but it's just not where um it's almost larger companies, one, they have the budget, right? And and two they're also held accountable at a much more um, public level. Uh, so I see those roles within larger companies, but smaller companies, it's really just not at the forefront of their mind or where they want to put their money. Um, not that it doesn't matter to them, but um, obviously not enough to to put someone focused on that. So it's it's a huge hole. I would say as an idea, just if we were to like, brainstorm something for 12 seconds i would say that i agree with that narrative and that perspective you know a lot of the small businesses um let's call it again 500 employees or under don't have those folks in place and frankly and you know this a lot of those companies of that size don't even always have a super strategic hr person in place um, which is also an issue so an idea that I, I've been noodling on that I would love to get your thoughts on is I believe for that structure, that demographic, those, that range of, of size of companies, I think there could be a, I think there could be a fractional DEI firm where it's a bunch of DEI leaders that are consultants that have a very strategic capability and background. And I think companies that are in that small region should should have someone come in on a fractional basis, you know, 20 hours a month, 15 hours a month, 30 hours a month, you know, um, do little six, eight week sprints every other quarter, things of that nature, and have some and have some subcontracted um, third party uh, fractional head of DEI inside of your business. So where it's not a full salary expense, but at least you are standing up some programs um, having one, having someone in place, measuring them, measuring that work, maybe even have like a little learning and development spin on it, where it's like a train the trainer model, you bring them in for six months, you help the HR teams in place, build out a few programs, and teach them how to manage and run and measure those programs. And then maybe, and maybe kind of exit after that six months, and then check in every now and again, to make sure things are, are, are running well. Um, because I, I think a lot of the small businesses deserve slash need some of the really strategic DNI work. Um, but to your point, maybe they don't have the budget, the desire, the interest to bring in someone full time. What, what are your yeah. thoughts on that like micro idea? Well, what you're describing is ex is exactly how we function as a business. Um, so it's the same pain point we're solving of, of smaller companies not having maybe the budget for a full time HR person, or maybe they have a small team that's overloaded and they'll bring us on to help build out all of those processes and the strategies, sometimes to train the internal person um, and kind of build them up and help 
get initiatives across the goal line. Um, we've done that for DEI in the past, but that's kind of phase two of um, my plan because the appetite hasn't been there for it. So we do have a DEI um, expert on the team that we contract in when, when we need to. Um, but I really, I personally want to develop that more on our team. And, and I, I think that's the, the same pain point you're describing and, and the solve for it is, is how we function as a business. We just haven't been able to do it strongly enough through the DEI um, uh, entrance point. And so I think it's needed, um, but getting small business owners to focus on that has been a huge challenge. I mean, many of them, you know, they can't even figure out how to solve their most basic people problems because they're they're just focused on trying to do the work and do the administrative and do the strategy and, and figure out the finances and they're spread so thin or their, their heads in so many different places. Um, it's almost like it's the, the last thing on their mind and, and that's not, you know, good, bad or otherwise. There's a lot of challenges with that, but um, we've had a hard time getting people to see the, the value and the big picture importance of putting that at the forefront. Um, so we do it in little ways that we can and work it in. You know, we do a lot of, I call it DE&I light, where I do unconscious bias training um, to just even introduce the concept. And many of them are not even familiar with the concept of how our, our brains work and how this, you know, becomes integrated in every decision that we make without us realizing it. Um, so I don't have an answer outside of, I, I totally agree with you. Uh, I, I see all of that and it's a goal of ours. But I don't know how we get small businesses to recognize the value of putting their money and their time there. That's a code I haven't cracked yet. Maybe there's a, um, maybe there's like a content play that would work on like a subscription monthly basis. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to talk it out now in 12 seconds, but maybe there's a, maybe there's an education play where on a monthly basis, there's, there's content available, whether that's in a podcast space, pre-recorded videos, um, access to online events slash like kind of like a template of tools and processes that are really easy and somewhat elementary and not too hard to put in place where someone could access all that stuff for a reasonably low low price on a monthly basis to kind of to kind of get their feet wet right to kind of get their their mind to start to shift maybe maybe there's a play there um I've also thought about this too, and then we'll move on to something else. I've also thought about, are you familiar with like, um, are you familiar with like the, the, the media company complex? No, I'm not. Or uh, let me see when you may recognize or like, um, well, okay. I guess I can explain complex. Complex is a media company that, that publishes a lot of content kind of like in the urban sector, but really for, for all things, the pop sector, the urban sector, they cover fashion, they cover music, they cover um, mental health, they cover really like interesting topics that, but in a way that's really fresh and new aged and creative. And they the, the people that they interview tend to be athletes or, or business leaders or actors or pundits to kind of like, grab the attention of your common of your common you know your, your common person to kind of 
get them like, oh, look at that person we're interviewing, but like the things that they're discussing are really impactful. Um, I don't think there's an HR media conglomerate that has done a really great job of making the topics that we all love and care about super interesting. I, I have a lot of respect for Sherm. Um, I have a lot of respect for a lot of the other certification and, and, and content generating companies out here. But I'll be very frank, and, and, and maybe you don't agree or do agree. I don't think there's an, a company from a media and content perspective that's doing it in a way that's cool, that's interesting, that like I could see a world where there's an event or again, some sort of a podcast or video media company that just talks about these people topics in a very cool, creative, engaging, kind of fresh, dope way and not so much of a rigid I don't know. Are you seeing what I'm trying to say? Like, I think there's a yeah. different way to do it. No, no, I think you're right. I think the, uh, in terms of content and content producers in the HR sector, it's very fractured. You know, there's like Gallup is really good about putting out really um, relevant data and information on people data. Um, Sherm is really good about putting out content that is, you know, technically sound and legally sound and compliant and is a great resource. But to your point, right, is there's not much that I've seen that comes out consistently from a content producer that's fresh perspective and, you know, a really engaging way of talking about people um, and topics that are, that we really want to know about. So, yeah. I don't know. I always come up with these ideas. Maybe something that could blend in some music. Maybe again, you could bring in, you know, bring in, you know, coaches of 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 known teams, athletes, actors. Wonder how you know what's happening in different sectors from a leadership and, and employee experience or team experience perspective. Um, maybe blend in like a little comedic approach to it. I don't know. There's just something I think that could be done that could be a little bit more engaging to. Um, the word of business that could maybe attract the eyes and ears of the smaller business owners that maybe don't have the biggest budgets. And, and I guess what I'm trying to say is every marketing and branding person knows that in order to sell something or to push a narrative or to change a perspective, you have to communicate it in a way that's engaging and that's attractive to the end consumer, exactly. not the way that you think it should be packaged, right? Exactly. Um, what are, so what's one belief that you feel like what's one core like belief that's like submitted in your perspectives that you believe um, more HR people, more leaders should have that they don't have? Like what's one narrative, what's one perspective that maybe you're still not seeing enough that you really care a lot about that you would even potentially argue over like a Thanksgiving meal about? <laughs> um. No, oh, so many, Anthony, so many. <laughs> I don't know that I would, I would, if I were arguing over Thanksgiving meal about this, I'd probably have to be with other HR people. Yeah, that's my point. I get, you know, side eyes. <laughs> um, but I would say, you know, tying to our comments about prioritizing DE&I, I think the same comes for culture. I think it's still something that is, like arts programs in schools. Like we have so much scientific data behind it to showcase the importance and the impact it has on 
productivity and engagement and tenure and skill development, right? Like all of those things. Um, and yet it's the first thing to go and it's the last thing to be invested in. So, you know, uh, for example, when we, when we were coming up with the game that we referenced in our discussion um, earlier, we asked, surveyed, you know, a bunch of CEOs and we asked them on a scale of one to five, how important are people and culture to your bottom line? Um, what do you think the response was to that? I'm curious. I'm sorry, say that again. You cut out, there was a little bit of a cutout. What was the question? I said, um, you know, when we scaled, when we asked CEOs on a scale of one to five, how important they thought people and culture were to their bottom line. Yeah. What do you think the response was? On a scale of one to five. Um, two. So it actually was pretty high. It was pretty high in terms of like intellectually speaking. Okay. We got a 4.8. Okay. So most people were, whether, you know, again, <laughs> from groupthink or external pressures or like us just hounding them over the head of this is important, they, they came up with a response of 4.8. So most people agreed it was really important to the bottom line. But then when we asked them, you know, what percent of them had a financial plan? You know, obviously 100% of them had a financial plan. When we asked them how many of them had a strategic plan. 95% of them had a strategic plan. When we asked them how many of them had a marketing plan, 97% had the marketing plan. How many do you think had an actual people and culture plan? Out of like a percentage, um, 20%, 30%, not many. Yeah, it was 10%, less than 10%. Mm. So even though like theoretically, a lot of CEOs are able to understand the value and the importance of people and culture and not just the value importance but literally the impact the bottom line of their business you know producing more dollars more revenue right all of those things productivity they none of them have a plan around it well not none of them but less than 10 percent of them so basically none of them have a plan around it right so so why is it that it's the last thing to be invested in and the first thing to get cut? It, it's one of those disparities that i can't um it just it you know, obviously it gets me on my soapbox and that's kind of what I think you were going for, but I really don't understand how we're not solving this problem by now. This is not new information. Um, and it's, it's a huge gap in, in our leadership uh, in terms of where we're investing our time and our money. And we've seen, you know, improvement in dividends when it's done properly. Um, but it's still such a hard sell. And I do think there's a lot of people that do culture poorly in terms of, you know, we think of culture as this great rebrand of like, here's what we stand for. And we put it on the wall and we change our colors around a little bit and we put it on a mouse pad. And it's like, great, that didn't change any of our problems. That didn't solve anything. Um, and the reality that I think you and I understand is, it's much more than that. You have to take it at least 10 steps further of how do we translate this into driving behavior and changing yep. behavior. And that's where I think we haven't quite cracked the code of enough people doing culture well and being able to drive and change behavior that then impacts productivity and then impacts the bottom line. It stops 
nine steps short. And therefore it's this common recurring belief that, you know, yeah, people are important to my bottom line, but this culture thing is fluffy and I can't get it to, to stick. Here, here's one perspective I'll have on that. I think, and this is something that I've, I've noticed from like a, I don't want to use the word common sense, but like a, from like a human behavior perspective um, and like an age perspective. And I hate to bring age into it, but hopefully you'll follow along with this perspective. Um, the companies, the largest companies in the world and even the small businesses right now, the majority of them that I would say, the CEOs that sit at the top, the C-suite that I would sit, that sit at the top are in the age bracket where a lot of the work that we're doing in DEI and culture and the innovative ways to do so, they don't come from that world. And so what I think is going to happen, unfortunately, is we're going to still keep seeing this 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 friction from a change management perspective from a change of thinking perspective from a um from folks still finding it very difficult to wrap their head around this work but as and i don't mean this to turn this into this dark gloomy podcast but but as some of those leaders obviously go up in age and go through the normal life process and move on and we have leaders that are now, let's call it in their 20s and in their 30s that are going to now be in their 50s and 60s. So let's look out maybe 15, 20 years. I think the word of work is finally going to catch up to how you and I are thinking about it. I think I yeah. think a lot, of, a lot of what's happening is the decisions that are being made, the people that have the power and the money to make the decisions are, again, in that in that thinking in that age where that's not how we were taught and we got to this point doing it our way and it didn't evolve it didn't evolve it didn't involve all these things that you're alluding to you know anthony it didn't involve all these things you're alluding to alex yes these things are important now to some of the folks that we're hiring and that's why we're even considering this conversation or even hearing you out but we're not going to start spending an awful you know uh, uh, we're not going to start spending a, a new amount of money, time, energy, and resources into this work. Um, yeah. Because what we've been doing is our tried and true. Um, yeah. So I don't know if you agree or with that, but I just think in 20 years, we'll probably see something that looks a little bit more like what we are hoping we would see now. I, I definitely think that's true. I think it's it's natural evolution, right? Yeah, evolution. Uh, different generational priorities and, and you know, what shapes those priorities for sure and, and, and outlook. Um, but I'd like your opinion on a different angle because, um, you know, that's one component. The other component that we see is people that are ready to invest in culture, but they're not actually ready to do the hard work to change. And that has come up quite often where we're, we're brought into a company and the leadership is saying, you know, we've got X, Y, Z problems and we need you to fix these problems and it's so dysfunctional and you know, we're investing in you, make it happen, right? And the problem comes back to, you know, something trickling down from leadership and it becomes a, okay, well, this is now not just a employee problem conversation. This is a you problem conversation. Um, how do we solve that? No, 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 no. Yeah. We're not, we're not going there, right? And that's a, that's a, 
that's a human problem, right? So, so, so you're totally right in that generationally, it, it will resolve itself on one aspect. In the other aspect, I don't know how it will resolve itself because that is a human problem of not being ready or willing to look internally and realize I'm part of the problem and what do I need to do to change? And I've been rewatching this show. I don't know if um, if you've ever heard of it. It's called Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Um, it's a really, you know, it's kind of a musical dramedy. Um, it, it tackles a lot of really uh, important themes. And, and one is mental health. And mm-hmm. this, this pr- uh, main character is going to therapy over and over again throughout three seasons and the therapist is just getting so frustrated because she's sitting there going through the motions and not actually listening to anything the therapist is saying and then she continues these you know in these delusions and these these behaviors that are um really not working out well for her until she finally hits rock bottom and recognizes that something needs to change and and it really is her um and then then that therapy starts to help Right. So we've noticed the same thing with our clients and that many times um, they're not ready. They they bring us in with the best intentions and they're not ready to receive our help. And we've actually had to remove ourselves from situations um, Mm -hmm. there because it's I'm I'm maybe too ethical and that I refuse to take people's money, just take people's money. Right. Like if if I can't help you, I'm I'm not going to keep going in this relationship you're either not willing or you're not ready and and I'd be curious to hear your perspective of you know how do we change that have you seen that um in all of your work when you're with your businesses and and how do you approach that well I'll start the latter first I approach it the same way um whether it's beyond brand beyond resume almost any company uh we won't work with a client we won't put a product in place we won't we won't do anything if I don't genuinely believe that they understand and believe in the work that we're doing and are willing to really do the hard work there, number one. And 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 frankly, we've done a really good job of building a system where we vet that throughout the the negotiation process. Um so there are questions that we will ask throughout that throughout that process where we'll know the type of person they are prior to um, prior to even getting into the business and actually doing the work. Um, Because I've had the same issues where we were inside of a business and you know this game, right? You know, there's a healthy amount of money on the table. Um, The draw that you pull yourself from that potential client and that deal puts food in your kids' mouths, you know? allows you and your husband to to have a nice night out or a new purse or to pay a bill and then on top of all of that you have employees or you have subcontractors or you have people so it's very difficult because when you get it and and people know this but don't want to talk about it when a new deal comes in place you are already starting to strategically map out okay what's going to be put towards taxes what's going to be put towards reinvesting in the business which is going to be put towards my own bills or is this enough to cover the team? Like, like you're, you're, you're strategically navigating that. And then, but to make the bold decision to move on from an opportunity, once you're already in it, takes a lot of guts um, because you've already done that thinking. And so 
Um, that's one thing that we have done is we've tried to create questions and situations where we try to really understand the behaviors and the mindset of the client prior to even walking in so that we're not wasting our time. But even before that, what I will say, I've always agreed with you where I believe the real core issue are the psychology of the human beings running these businesses. And that can derive from a lot of places that maybe we don't even want to touch on today's episode. That can derive from parenting. That can derive from their upbringing. That can derive from their first internship when they were fresh out of university or grad school. That can derive from whoever was their mentor and their coach and how they looked at things and the potential issues that they faced from a relationship perspective or parenting perspective or upbringing perspective. Um, we're talking about real mental health issues of leaders. Yes. We're, you know, so I, I've been a big proponent of saying psychologist and psychology and therapy needs to be a bigger focus. And just another kind of shark tank idea that just popped up now is I think there could probably be some sort of a licensed mix between a life coach, a, you know, therapy group and psychology, you know, psychologist that primarily just works with leaders. Yeah. Not even works with, you know, someone that's not, you know, not from a, like a, a non-professional perspective, but literally just works with leaders to, to unpack and debunk that. And I don't mean so much in like a Tony Robbins way, um, but, but really at like a, a scientific perspective where, where they look at some of the leaders decisions and they can map it all the way back to childhood, map it all the way back to first partners, map it all the way back to whatever it's going to be. Right. So I agree with you with all that. Yeah, I've been telling my team, I think the next hire we need to make is an IO psychologist, yep, uh, just, yep. you know, just to be able to really diagnose these things sooner and use leverage data to, to come up with some ways forward. But, but even just thinking through like, how are we, how are we managing wellness in our organizations and particularly mental health? We know that the pandemic has taken an immense toll on mental health. People are still recovering from it. Some people haven't even broached the subject of addressing the mental health that they experienced throughout it. We're still dealing with burnout, right? So all of these things in, in these plans, I, I think I'm seeing more companies offer EAPs that allow, you know, support of the financial uh, investment in seeking help and support and therapy and coaching, counseling. Um, but I would like to see companies really invest more in having, you know, someone fractionally or on their team or on site twice a week or every other week or whatever that is, like make, make that part of the wellness plan. Because I, I think it's the leaders need to benefit from that and the employees need to benefit from that. And it's, it's going to be a bigger part of the conversation. Um, if not now, even though it should be soon, because I think we're really starting to feel uh, the impact of mental health on our ability to show up to work every day and to build our businesses successfully and to lead our lives successfully. Uh, and that intersection is becoming um, much more 
profound, I think, in our in our conversation. You know, it's no longer work and life. It's it's the whole person. We've been talking about bringing yourself to work and that tagline for, you know, 10 years now. But I'm actually starting to see that blend. Um, and I, I think that's one refreshing thing that's come out of the pandemic is um, starting to to really intertwine those concepts. Um, so, yeah, 100 percent. Here, here would be my final question. I don't want to hold you too long here, but I want to I want to kind of understand your perspective on this as well. Um, what are your what are your strategic considerations, thoughts, advice um, pertaining to like development of anyone that is a part of the hiring process? That's a piece that I don't see enough of. So what I mean by that is there's so many firms, consultancies, content, information, we're people are discussing strategies and tactics around hiring. I'm even one of them, right? You know, we created Beyond Brand and we talked about that offline here. But yeah. but what what I don't think we're seeing enough of is what are your thoughts or strategic considerations around developing the the mindset, the psychology, the strategic thought patterns, right? The frameworks around how to even approach hiring, um, how to approach some of these strategic decisions that are made. Like, like I, I don't know about enough people that are working on that change management, leadership, coaching from, again, from the thinking, the, the mental frameworks, the mental models of those that are in those hiring positions, whether it's a recruiter, a head of talent, um, uh, a business, small business owner. Uh, what are your thoughts on all that? Yeah, I mean, that that's that's where we live. Um, that has always been a huge focus of mine, right? Like, how do we identify the source of these challenges and and go to the source and not just uh, resolve the symptoms? And and that's that's what you're speaking to, in my opinion, is how do we really get people to understand, you know, why the strategy is in place, why they're asking certain questions, what they're looking for in response, how our biases impact the way we perceive that response, right? How we use these incredible tools that are out there right now, like, like what you mentioned with the m brand, right? There's incredible tools to reduce biases in the process, but then I hear um, leaders using that as an entire decision-making component. It's like, no, that, that's, that's meant to be a piece of the puzzle, you know? Like, so how do we train people on, on understanding how that integrates with the hiring process and using it properly? So one of the things that, that we do is really come at it through the lens of, um, we do unconscious bias training with leaders so they understand how that impacts, um, how they show up in an interview, how they're perceiving responses in an interview, um, how to design things to bring in more objectivity in the process. We we do the culture work up front where we're helping them identify what is it exactly that you're looking for and let's all get on the same page and let's be very clear and specific about defining those behaviors. Because what uh, we had talked about this like what integrity or customer service means to one person might be defined a little bit differently by somebody else. And then you've got all of you know, these arbitrary decisions being made based on the person that's sitting in front of you. So we're, we're trying to leverage as much as we can with our clients in training them and helping them understand the thought process behind things and helping them understand the science behind hiring in 
uh, evolving their process to support, you know, uh, objectivity in how do we use these incredible tools out in the market and AI out in the market and these IO psychology tools to vet people um, properly. And how do we also understand how our own biases come into play and how do we understand what we're even looking for, not just what I like, what does my team need? What are the gaps that I have um, to diversify my team from a strengths perspective even or skills perspective? And how does the culture component of how they're going to act in the organization come into play? There's a lot of teaching and education that, that needs to go into it. And I agree, I don't think there's enough people focusing on that. And it's again, one of those things that is not at the top of people's mind to invest in, but it's solving you know, the true core of the problem and not just treating the symptoms. So I think is what we all really need to be focusing on. A hundred percent. Well, this, is, this has been an amazing conversation. I think there's a lot of good here that uh, a lot of folks can take away. What uh, What's one final thought on what's going to be a focus for not only you, but you think the focus for the world in 2023 and then plug anything you want to plug and then we'll get you out of here. Um, I think a focus, I think a focus is really going to be put back on um, people. Uh, and I think in a way that's uh, maybe dictated by, by the market, um, and it's, it's kind of what we saw in 2008, right? We kind of went through a recession and then it was, we can't find people. So now we're going to make the changes necessary to be able to hire people we want. And even though it's unfortunate, you know, it takes companies sometimes to be backed into a corner to do those things. I do see that happening. Um, I'm hoping that if there is a recession and a lot of layoffs and it becomes um, a pretty hefty candidate pool that we don't reverberate back um, because the changes that are coming out of COVID and, and being able, being open to things like remote work and hybrid and um, flexible environments is really important. Um, so I'd like to see us continue to do that. I'd like to see more HR business partners and entrepreneurs and, and leaders with, with voices and platforms taught the importance of that um, and champion that for those that are not convinced yet. Um, and I'd like to see more culture work. You know, what, what you're doing is fantastic. And the, the AI and the different businesses um, that you're running in these, these platforms are, are what we need. We need more progressive tools. Uh, we need different ways of looking at things um, and all through the lens of culture and people. Um, and I think it's, it syncs up a lot with what we're focused on, which is changing the way people work for the better, right? We, we're spending most of our time at work and I think we need to have environments that bring out the best in us and, and the, the business only benefits from that, so. I love that, I love that. So uh, this has been amazing. I appreciate you joining the show and uh, we will definitely be catching up and talking soon. Awesome, thanks for having me. Thank you.